Lord and teach us the scriptures. We're reminded, Father, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And, and so, Lord, teach us the wonder of our Savior, the wonder of your word, the wonder of redemption. Thank you for the sweetness of the fellowship of the saints. We ask, Lord, that you administer your grace through the Spirit of God, who is our great teacher. Teach us the word and impress upon us these things and forever change us in big ways in small ways as a result of being here today. Bless the hearts of all that are here. We thank you, Lord, so much for the privilege, the opportunity for this land that we have such freedom to gather to study the Word of God. Oh, Lord, save any here that have never put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us, Lord, encourage us. May we put sin out of our life. May we be more determined to serve you. And may you favor and be pleased in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I, I meant to say welcome to Gary and Ruth. This is uh, Faithy's sister, Ruthie and Gary. They came over from, from Jersey to be to see you today. What a, what a thought, huh? Wow. All right, take your Bible. Let's look at Psalm uh, 22. Uh, a week from this Friday is uh, traditionally is a day uh, th that is called Good Friday, a week from this Friday. And uh, Good Friday, of course, is the day that traditionally it's remembered that Jesus was nailed to the cross and uh, gave his life as the Lamb of God for us. Uh, I've seen a book entitled Six Hours, One Friday. And uh, describing that, did, did you know he hung on the cross six hours, plus or minus, that's, that's exactly right. I'm not sure if it was a Friday, though we celebrate Friday. Sometimes, you know, it's tough to fight City Hall on tradition. You know, if you count three days and three nights and the, and the, the sign of Jonah there, and you go like, how does Friday and Sunday morning end up with three? You know, and how did that work? You know, like, that must be that modern math, you know, like you can never figure out anyway. And incidentally, I just read they discarded that. They found that to be a failure, that modern math math. That's why you have to take your shoe off and count. They discovered now, after edu educating us, that that was a bad idea. Like, anyway, so some think that that week was an unusual week in the nation of Israel and that he was uh, actually crucified on, uh, on Thursday. But some things it's not worth fighting City Hall on it and so on. So as we think about moving into Holy Week, um, we take a break from our study of the Gospel of Luke and look at this. This Psalm 22 is entitled the, uh, the hymn. I've titled it, and others have, the hymn of the cross. You know that there's no psalm more quoted in the New Testament than this psalm. I mean, this psalm is very... Uh, extensively quoted by many of the writers of the New Testament, and, uh, and you should know that. It's the best description in all the Bible of Jesus' crucifixion. Written a thousand years by David, even prior. And David, writing under the control of the Spirit of God, through the Spirit, wrote of another, his son, the Lord Jesus and it's the cross. This is not a sickness, as, as Larry read that, and as we'll look through, it's not a sickness, it's an execution that's going on here. And specifically, a crucifixion. A body is nailed to a cross. Now what's even more amazing about that is uh, uh, the Romans had not come on the scene yet, Larry, not quite, when David wrote this, and uh, crucifixion was, was not an execution form in the day of David. They just chopped your head off, you know, 
that didn't bother nailing people to a, to a tree or a cross. Uh, this was Roman, and this was much, much later, uh, prior to Jesus' day, and that's why Jesus was executed, according to Scripture, on the cross, and there's no clearer description of the crucifixion of Jesus than Psalm 22, written by his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, David, because Jesus is the son of David, as you know. In Psalm 22, what makes it so terribly interesting is, sometimes you have, did you ever wonder, I wonder what the Lord was thinking about when he was nailed to the cross, when he actually hung there? We get some indication on the seven words of the cross, and we'll talk about some of those, and we've had series on that in days gone by. It gives indication of what our Lord was thinking about as he hung there in total shame when he became legal sin for you and for me. This Psalm gives the greatest single indication of what was going through the Lord's mind, and even in his words, as he hung there on the cross. And so I introduced this whole topic by saying, man through the centuries has performed some really great works. I mean, we really bear that, the Imago Dei, that likeness of God, don't we? Homo sapien, man the wise, that's how man categorizes himself. He's the tool maker, He's, he takes what God, men and women take what God has made, and understand the world that is more accurately, and live and work within it. Think of an airplane, the Wright brothers, they discovered, wait, there's a thing called the lift. You know, the air pressure under the wings uh, and the pressure above, there's a difference there, and it creates lift. You know, just understanding the world that is better and, and designing it, creating all kinds of structures, biomechanical engineering, all these kind of things. And man exudes with a great likeness of God when I think of the works and some of the great works. And I just thought back the last hundred years, you know, some of these, uh, and you, your list could be different, but how about the moonshot when you think of great works? Some of you were born after it, but some of you remember that well, that, that decade, Kennedy said, as president, we'll put a man on the moon before, and it really it coalesced our thinking, and, and that moonshot was a tremendous uh, aeronautical engineering and, uh, and so on enterprise. Um, uh, they, they, said, they said to us the, uh, the, 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 what they had is in the computer in the 60s was equal to a Commodore 64. Some of you don't even remember that little Commodore thing here. And that's what they were flying. <laughs> like, you get more of that in your little pen if you have a little computer in it today. But it flew them up there. The moonshot, the Hoover Dam. Some that are older said the Hoover Dam was an enormous engineering feat. Uh, great. How about the English tunnel called the Channel? I've been to the mouth of it, but I've never gone under it, but what a project to bore under the English Channel. Now you don't need to drive right to Paris from London and all that. What an engineering feat that was. How about Edison's uh, the light bulb? You know, think of the centuries and centuries of time they sat around in the dark. Well, I had a little gas lamp or olive to light the room. And I mean, Abraham Lincoln, they said his eyes went bad reading you know, by candlelight or flicker of the fire. And we, we flip on the switch and the full electricity and understanding more perfectly the world that God, and God allowed that. You wouldn't even have, you, your laptop would be worthless today without Edison. The light bulb, electricity, all of that. Hey, incredible. And I had to put one in for my father. 
because my father always said the Panama Canal was the greatest engineering project and Jimmy Carter gave it away and I won't tell you all that he said at that point but the, the French couldn't do it nobody could do it it took the Americans and all the malaria and all that and they did it and he gave it away and he said that's a great engineering feat well in all of this I still say man bears the likeness of God's image to take the world that is reshape it form it and to make it better and to protect it it's no more than the mandate God gave Adam to tend the garden and, and then to protect it that's the role of a man in a family he, he he tends he develops his family and he protects that's the role that we have with children our grandchildren so the role that we have in a church with the elders overseeing and shepherding caring for us. That same, same thing. Yeah, when you consider great works under that theme, uh, there's one work that is infinitely, infinitely greater than all the rest. And of course, that's the work of the Lord Jesus on his cross. Far greater than the moonshots, far greater than the Golden Gate Bridge, far greater than, than Dubai. Have you seen the great Arab Tower there in Dubai? I've stood at the face of that and looked way up into heaven. Of course, the Christians there call it Babylon anew. <laughs> Babylon is <laughs> from, the, from the desert, and they're probably, probably right about that. Uh, but uh, it's the cross of Jesus. It's the greatest labor ever took place. For Jesus became in that great hour uh, sin for you and for me. He became legal sin. Uh, the quote from Jim Boyce or one of those, he was hung between heaven and earth, enduring our hell that we might share his heaven. Isn't that great? He endured our hell that day on the cross that we might share his home, heaven, forever and ever and ever. Well, Psalm 22 is a picture of his execution. David is not the one speaking here. It's an amazing uh, thing that, that God is speaking. It is actually the voice of the Lord Jesus, his thoughts and his words. Uh, as he hung on the cross by the Spirit of God through David, as David wrote this, there's no event in David's life that, is, that, that could even be traced to the historical setting of the words found in Psalm 22. There's none. It's a very unusual psalm. And there's no confession of sin. And with all that going on, and what some of you know the flavor of some of the other psalms, there's contrition and confession. Not here. It is the Lord Jesus. And if we needed to know even more, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12 quotes parts of this and tells us that through the duration, in essence, Jesus was speaking. And so it's, a, it's an amazing thing. Now I've told you before, and, and as you love your Bibles and stand amazed at it, Jesus just doesn't show up in Matthew. Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we know, because of what the New Testament says, it was Jesus who actually said, let there be, let there be light, let there be divide. It was his voice. He is the creator. He was given that in the Trinity. He's in Genesis 1 and 2, and all the way through the scriptures, it's the Lord Jesus. Remember on the road, search the scriptures. Uh, they're on Emmaus, and he took all the scriptures, and he presented himself. And I'm sure it's, uh, this Psalm 20 
22, to those disciples that were this downcast in heart, thought that he would rise on the third day he had, and they were going back. I'm sure he went to Psalm 22. I'm sure he went to Isaiah 53. I'm sure he went to Genesis 3, all the way through his line of the tribe of Judah. So this book, we love the scriptures, not because we love a book. We're not bibliolaters, but we love the book because it teaches us of Jesus from cover to cover. That's, a great, that's something brand new. Some of you have red letter editions, think that uh, those are the most valuable. The whole Bible, Genesis 1-1 to the very end, Revelation 22, is all about Jesus. And he ends up saying, behold, I come quickly. He's coming again. It's all about him. And this, to, to, this marvelous book in Psalm 22 is the hymn of the cross a thousand years before um, he would die. Uh, it's laid out here in this execution psalm. And so the, this prophetic psalm pulls back the cover, as it were, and allows us to hear Jesus, what he was thinking, and in a few words he said, and I say to you that I've said at times before, I feel like saying, like Moses heard at the burning, take off your shoes, for the ground that we are going to read and study here in a few moments is holy, holy ground. I mean, to peer into the thought of his mind when he hung there nailed, pierced to that wooden cross for you and for me. The psalm unfolds in the two parts of the sacred song. You know, a psalm is a song. It's a holy song, causing us in our hearts and should and even in our private life to fall down and worship the Lamb of God. For he suffered beyond measure for you and for me. The first part of the psalm, verses 1 to 21, is really the duration of it. And it really presents that Jesus was forsaken by the Father as he laid his life down for us. No greater love has anyone than this, than that a man laid down his life for another. It was Jesus that said that. Sometimes we're startled when we read the episodes of military guys and uh, in out on patrol and, and there's danger and one goes and dives on the, uh, the grenade and he takes the full blow and uh, saves the life of his friends while he dies within moments. And it causes us pause because we, we connect with that. We realize no greater love has anyone than this. Well, how about someone who would die for their enemies? You're like, I do that for my kids in a minute. They need a kidney, they need a body part, and if it matched, I'd sign up. But how about for an enemy, someone that hated you and despised you, someone that, and that even begin, begins, it begins to give the, the idea of what Jesus did for us. Those of us who were hostile and hated God, and yet the divine plan of the ages on the exact moment, on the exact day. I mean, when you read the Gospels, it's amazing. It's the Lord Jesus that's in control of everything going on there. And that even in that last week, I mean, all the way through. He could have called 10,000 angels. You could not do this, he tells, unless God gave you the authority to do it. Right at the exact moment. Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the second crow. Of, I mean, the, uh, one after the other after the other. The hour is here now. All of these things. And you stand back and it catches your breath. You're like, this is, this is holy ground. This is my Savior. He, he did that for me. And sometimes we know these things, and we know these things academically, and we've, we've known them for decades, some of us, and we go, oh yes, and, and I just pray that with a great sense of freshness, it hits us in our heart again, that Jesus died, if I were the only one, he died for me. I'm so unworthy. 
I'm, I'm a scoundrel. I'm, I'm a sinful man. I'm, and God saved me. And it's, I'm his project. Forsaken that I might never be. Well, the amazing part of this first section, uh, uh, I call it stanza on your sheet, uh, uh, is the alternation, uh, alternating pattern. Um, there are like uh, six sections here. There's, he suffers, he expresses, and then he prays. He suffers, and then he prays. He suffers, and then he prays. And isn't, isn't that like us? Have you, have you ever, um, uh, you've been at times where you've been sick and, and delirious and, and you're suffering and, and then you pray. I've been with families uh, when, when dear ones were nearing the doorway of death and, and uh, suffering and then they're praying and, and singing and then he suffering. Let's pray again. And, and that, that weaving, that you can feel the intensity and the passion of that written here even into the psalm in this portion, the front end where he's forsaken. Uh, let me just hasten the latter section of the psalm. Uh, the second part is, is a complete different tone. It's triumphant. It's victorious. It's, uh, it's deliverance for Jesus on, while on the cross, if we understand this right, received assurance from his Father that he has been heard. And it was finished, and he was victorious, and that uh, the result of the cross would have everlasting uh, results in the hearts and lives of here, us, 21 centuries later. Well, look at the uh, verses 1 to, uh, to 21 here. We see this amazing alternating pattern. Uh, A, Jesus utters the cry of abandonment. In, in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. We read that, of course, in Matthew's account of that. Uh, and uh, in his text in verse 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Might, might call attention to the fact that this is the only time recorded Jesus ever asked why. The only time he ever asked why. Now, if you're omniscient, even in your humiliation in the incarnation, and yet totally dependent on the Spirit to do the Father's will, the only time he asked why. Now, do you know you can drive people crazy if you ask why? What is it, five or six times? <laughs> Sometimes I do that with Faithy. She'll say, well, I need the, uh, would you vacuum the corpus? Uh, and I'll say, well, Why? Well, because, um, you know, uh, they're dirty. And I'll say, well, why? Well, because uh, somebody's coming by. I go, well, why? And then I just, and she, <laughs> around the second or third, she starts like, better not say it again. <laughs> Kids are big at that, aren't they? We go, why? This is the only time. Why? My God, my God. Can I also say this? This is the only time in all scripture that Jesus called God, not his father, but God. And the reason for that is at this point, he stood in the relationship, the Holy Father, as sin. Legal sin. And there was, going, there was that separation at that point. And it's God at that point. So that shouts to us. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Well, one, Jesus is crucified at 9 a.m. And for the first three hours, he seems to be thinking of others. I remind you, the words of the cross. Remember, they nailed him to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
He seems to be thinking about others from the little indications uh, that we get. Remember to the dying thief, and this is the first three hours now, the taunting there, and, and then the rebuke of the one thief to the other, and he asks the Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and gee, what's Jesus say to him? Uh, today. Isn't that great? Today you will be with me in Paris. He's thinking of him. And then how about his mother? You know, the tormentation of a mother. You know, we, we think about uh, losing a child is such a horrible thing for parents. And it happens. It does. And here she is at the foot of his cross with, with some of the others. And, and John is there. And uh, he makes sure that his mother is cared for, uh, gives uh, Mary to John, and, and, uh, and so he takes care of her. And tradition tells us that Mary lived with John uh, all the days of her life, and it was a long time after. Thinking of others, that first uh, three hours on the cross. But now at noon, there's a huge change. Darkness covers, and that's in verse 2 where we have, I cry out to you, uh, but you do not answer by night. Night and I find no rest by day. The first phrase in verse 2. There's the darkness, there's the light there on the first three hours. Then darkness at noon fell over. And uh, there's a change. The physical suffering was intense, but the spiritual anguish, the separation from his father, never experienced from eternity past, was far more painful than the physical. This was deep spiritual suffering as he became sin, legal sin. He never did sin. He became legal sin, a substitute, the Lamb of God for you and for me. And because of that, separated uh, from his father and the enormous pain uh, in his soul because of that. 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah, verse 1 is by far the most poignant and the most disturbing of all. It's the fourth word from the cross. Why hast thou abandoned me? I mean, God abandoned by God? I mean, Luther said, who can understand that? I mean, really, I can't understand it. But I believe it because the scriptures teach it. But he was abandoned, separated, turned away, the loss of his face and favor upon the Lord Jesus was so intense and so painful. He was abandoned, and here it is, that we might never be. Do you know that hell is the ultimate place of abandonment? He endured our hell for that period of time, the God-man that we might never be abandoned. Never. That means when you come to the door of death and they go like, it's just about over. There's the last tear. You know that sometimes there is that last tear. Did you know that? That comes down. Not always. But, and sometimes that's a signal that you're within minutes uh, of, uh, of, uh, of death. A tear will come. He shed the last tear. You've heard that expression. That's where that comes from. And uh, at the, you, you know what? That, 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 you will not be more alive than you ever were if you know Jesus. Amen. It's so what? To be absent from the body is to be immediately present with the Lord, at home with the Lord. I mean, it's, the best is yet to come. I know that phrase is overworked, but it's really true. And the true, the other is just as we are utterly abandoned, isolated from God forever, outside of Christ, abandoned. He was abandoned. He endured our hell during that period of time that we might not be abandoned by him forever. We think it's sometimes children that are abandoned and we read that and we paper and we go like, how could a mother ever do that? Leave her children. You know, they found one in a dumpster in a city a couple of years ago. How could that ever be? Abandoned like that. 
But you see, God gives people what they want. You know, that's what, the, when people say to you, like, how can a holy God, loving God, ever send people to hell? Your answer should simply be, God's, God loves them enough to give them what they want. They didn't want him when they were living. They didn't want him. They wanted to worship and serve themselves, do whatever they wanted to do, and be their own God. So God says, okay, go ahead. That's hell. Oh, that changes it, you see. That changes but that's biblically accurate. He endured our, our hell that we might be saved. Abandoned by God that we might never be. Wow, yet God the Father is silent. Then Jesus prays and be. So he prays, uh, remembering the Father's deliverance of those who trusted in days gone by. Verses 3 through 5. Yet you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted. You delivered them. He's on the cross. He's nailed He's remembering God's deliverance of, uh, of uh, his people as they trusted him in days gone by. And he drew strength from that. As they trusted and God delivered, that God the Father would deliver him through this great dark valley of suffering. And we should do that. You know, there's a sense where we read the scripture and we grow in strength as we see what God has done. And oftentimes we talk about that. Well, we talk about that here at Grace. We go like, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, a house and get God giving us a land that wasn't ours. We think of that with the property God's given us for a beachhead for the gospel. We think of houses. And we didn't, we didn't build that farmhouse. We didn't build the barn. God's giving that to us. And uh, I guess that means we're walking through the wilderness eating manna now. I don't know, but we're, we're meandering around and we, we look back and we remember what God did when they trusted him. I mean, they did walk through the Red Sea and we draw strength on that, that God cares for his people in days gone by and he's going to care for us today. Don't we draw strength on that? We do. I do. And that's what Jesus is doing even here at this moment in his hour uh, of suffering. And see, Jesus suffered the mockery of, of scorners who stood at the cross jeering him. I mean, this, is, this really irritates me. You want to just kind of punch these people out, don't you? I mean, just, it just, it froths you. You know, they're standing there, Jerry, you know, religious, uh, holy regard, and oh, he saved others, but he can't save himself. I mean, just think if the Lord said, that's it, I'm done. I'm getting off this thing. We'd be in a heap of trouble, wouldn't we? We'd be, we'd be lost forever. The second Adam did not fulfill. It'd be horrible. Think about that. That he had endured the, the mockery of the so-called religious and those that didn't know his father at all. And they're mocking him. Look, and in, in, in the quotes, he, he trusts in the Lord. I mean, that's why they're mocking him. In, in, in our verses here, um, uh, that... Uh, Wow, that's like sticking a knife in his soul. Of course he trusted the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Wow, horrible, really. You know what, I've often thought that. You know, as I, as I serve the Lord and walk with him and he has my heart, you know, I would rather go down trusting the Lord. You say, whatever happened to that Z-man? I don't know, but he trusted the Lord all the way. I mean, that's, that's what I want to do. I mean, even if it looks really terrible out there, and at times life in a fallen world looks horrible. It looks like the odds are so stacked against you, and, and then all of that, and you're like, well, so what do we do? Just, we just capitulate and just say, well, that's it. I'll just join the Canaanites, you know. 
No, I want it. I want it to be known by God's grace in His sanctification in my life alone. It's not me that He. If I go down, I'm going down trusting the Lord. Whatever that means, that's that's what Jesus is doing here. He's and they're mocking him because well, he's trusting the. Lord. <laughs> What else is there? I mean, I, that's the way to live. I mean, the way to live by faith is, is, is if, if God doesn't come through to it for us, we're in a heap of trouble. I mean, it doesn't mean we do stupid stuff or presumptuous stuff. We're not saying that. But we walk by faith with great expectation, trusting him. And if he doesn't come through, holy macaroni, we're in trouble. That's the way to live. That's the only way. Sometimes you, some of you play it so safe, you know, it's so safe, like, ah, I'm not really sure. I mean, you're, you're almost dead anyway. Just go die. You don't do live. Trust him. Walk. Stretch. You know, stretch. How about in your giving with this? And you say, like, uh, with, with our project and all. Trust the Lord and give graciously. And a faith offering. You say, I'm, I'm giving. I'm giving. I'm just glad to go. I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to write down in a journal what he does. Yeah, and so what? That's the Lord. He, he, I'm trusting the Lord. He drew strength from that, but so should we. And then in D, it's not others, but Jesus is now remembering the Father's goodness to him. And in doing this, he found strength to endure the suffering. He was good to me then. He's saying he'll be good to me in the future. Well, that's what David did, didn't he? When he faced the trial of Goliath. And we all have troubles, right? I often think about that. You got these great military men up there on the hill, and they're like, oh, the guy's nine foot six. He's an NBA prospect. You know, like, we're in deep trouble, you know? Even Saul, the king, should have went out there, but he's hiding. And here comes this young David, young guy. And he, he comes out, he's snooping around, you know, checking on his brothers. We're going to get a report, give him some food. He goes, like, what's going on? What's the problem here? And he's down in the valley, and, you know, he gets everyone all upset right? Because he's like, he sees the giant, he sees the Philistines, he sees the Israelites, and he goes like, what's the issue here? This is just should be a no-brainer. God is great. He's great. He goes like, you know, I'll volunteer. I'll take the guy. I'll take the giant. No, you can't do that. You're a little guy. You're young. You're not a man of valor. You're not a military man. You're a shepherd. What did David do at that point? David, he said, he looked in the past and he saw God's goodness to him. He said, I was a shepherd and uh, a wolf came, not a wolf, a bear and, uh, and a lion. That's not bad. And he, and he said, I, I love the King Jim, and I smote him. I, sm I could see him grabbing him by the whisker, and it beating him like this, you know, protecting the sheep. And he, and he recognized that God gave him strength to do that. He drew strength from that for the present. That's, that's what we do in the Christian life. Some of you don't have too many things to draw strength on because you've not been walking really by faith and trusting him. And you're like, oh, I don't have much of a history here. Like, get into the water. Start walking and keep your eyes on Jesus. But that's what the Lord, that's what Jesus here on the Lord, you've been so good to me in so many ways, and I know you will be in the future. Now, that's what the text is saying, and that uh, Jesus is thinking at this point, during this dark period of time on the cross, that God would wonderfully deliver him. Well, uh, E, Jesus endured the tremendous physical agony uh, of the cross. Now look at the description. 
some of you, my first Bible I had beyond the one given in the junior department, and every junior got a Bible when they entered into that in our Sunday school, was uh, my mother reverenced the C.I. Schofield Reference Bible. How many of you know what that is? You've got to be a certain age. To, yep, I figured, yeah. To, to know what that, but my mother used to reverence that so much, you know, and the notes in it and all that kind of thing, and, and I, I didn't know much about it, but I had a reverence for it. And, but Schofield, his note on Psalm 22, I put it on your page, is so great. It, it is, uh, he writes, Psalm 22 is a graphic picture of the death by crucifixion and the circumstances are precisely those fulfilled in his death. And notice the, the cry, verse 1, my God, my God, why, is you for, why have you forsaken me, uh, is, uh, is, was clearly the Lord's word on the cross. The light in the darkness, that's uh, the, the light that first on that at noon, the darkness that fell. The humiliating treatment, the scorning in verses 6 through 8 and 12 to 13. I mean, they're around jeering, you know, uh, despising him, mocking him. And then in verse 18, look at that, the casting of lots. I mean, he has no control uh, humanly over that, but here they take his his uh, his robe. How many of you heard the movie The Robe, so-called the seamless robe, and they uh, made a big big Hollywood movie out of that? But uh, they're casting the soldiers, and and we see that in the gospel uh, for his clothing, as he was barely naked, if not naked, hanging on the cross, uh, casting the lots for it. Do you see that in verse eight? They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Notice that's. Jesus' voice speaking there. It's his. And then verse 16, his hands and his feet are pierced. For dogs encompassed me, Gentiles, the Roman soldiers, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced. Notice, circle the word pierced. My hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. That's Jesus speaking. Pierced. Pierced. Now I want to say to you this word pierced, um, it refers to the spikes that were driven through his, through his uh, feet and through his palms, or through his wrist, more ex uh, exactly. Uh, it's uh, uh, the if you were to check the Hebrew uh, Middle Age, uh, Middle Age uh, Masoretic text, they changed it and they took the the radicals and they pointed it with the vowels and they made it as as a lion. Um, the radical, the letters were constant, the vowels were different. In the middle, middle Ages, as a lion, I suspect that there was uh, pressure uh, on, on an unbelieving Jew that uh, Jesus was the Messiah, and so there was some little bit of interpretation that went into the translation. Because I say that, the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament, written a couple of hundred years before Jesus lived, the Septuagint, some of you know the name, they had it just this word, pierced. They had it before, 200 years before Jesus, in translating this Old Testament passage into Greek, it was pierced. English pierced. Uh, the uh, Hebrew text of the Middle Ages, because people would say in evangelizing, see, Jesus was the Messiah. And there was a little bit of fuddy-duddy and a change in, in the language, and the Hebrew text ended up being the vowels changed, the letters the same, so it, as a lion, and that is, is a poor translation. You can do some more study on that on your own. But this section of the hymn is most striking of all. It's shocking all that our Lord went through, the 
darkness to light. I should say this too, from 12 to 3, and the Lord died at, at 3, around 3 o'clock, darkness fell over. And the reason it fell over, that, those were the private hours. Um, that the Lord was thinking his last thoughts through the, through the Old Testament, any final fulfillment, I thirst. He, re, he remembered that from Psalm 69, and they gave him something to drink. You remember that. And it was the private hours. Uh, the Lord, the Father, actually protected, shielded Jesus during the hours uh, he was made sin for us. That was a transaction between the Lord Jesus and his holy heavenly Father for our sin as he was made legally sin. And then verses 19 to 21, Jesus finally prays again and he receives the assurance that God has heard him. It's an amazing thing. Look at verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. And verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. And then it's, you have rescued me. Or you have delivered me. Uh, you have you have heard. You have heard. Have you ever had that sense where you're you're so laden down with prayer and the burden, maybe something over your kids, your grandkids, something in life, health issues, other things, maybe, uh, and you just you're so burdened and burdened. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you don't have the sense of uh, of resolve and peace that God has heard. But there are times God visits you with a sense of get off your knees, Terry. I've heard now. I've heard. I've had that sense. It's the most wonderful thing where you, God gives a sense of shalom and peace. And you know in your heart God has heard and he's going to work according to his will and he's good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And there's a rest. Isn't that a wonderful time? That, I get that sense right here. The Lord's on the cross. He's crying out to the Father. And the, the Father has forsaken him. But now he has heard his petition and... Uh, he is going to be rescued. He is going to die in triumph. Beautiful. It was anything. Albert Schweitzer, uh, a long time ago, he, uh, that medical doctor, missionary, went to Africa. He wrote in, in search of the historical Jesus. He, he had it all wrong. I hate to say that. But he had the fact that Jesus died in utter despair. Looking at verses like this, that he was crushed by his own movement. That was not it. That's the wrong thing entirely. The Lord was faithful all the way to the end, and he, he dies triumphantly. He dies with the assurance that his father has heard him. And it changes because in verses, the second part of this hymn, verses 22 to 31, Jesus now dies triumphantly assured of his father's deliverance. The tone is dramatically, it's a 180 degree turnaround from the front end of this psalm. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. See, it's future now. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Who, uh, you who fear the Lord, praise him. I mean, we go from deep and intense and passionate suffering. Now the second part is full of triumph and joy because he has the assurance from God, his Father, that, that uh, he is triumphant. The darkness now passes. He's given assurance that through his resurrection, the gospel will triumph. And it's seen in really three phases, and we'll be done here. Uh, and it tells of an expanding and victorious church that it would not end here. I mean, the enemies of Jesus thought, that's it, good riddance, goodbye. Good riddance, goodbye. 
You ever, anyone ever think that about you? I just can't wait until we get rid of that guy. Get rid of Zabolski. You get rid of him, that's good. I told my, my uh, sons this week, I read something, I loved it so much. And I'm, it'll stay with me. I hope, I hope it stays with me that, and maybe I told you this, it really screams to me. It, it goes like this. Uh, a, man, though, a man, if he has sons, though he dies, only half dies. A man, if he has sons, though he dies, he only half dies. What that means to me is this. You may kill me, but I got some guys coming after me. And they're going to carry on. Don't you love that? I love that. I love that so much. And uh, they thought, we're getting rid of Jesus. That's it. Goodbye. Good riddance. Get rid of him. It didn't end there. There was going to be another day. The sign of Jonah, three days later, and it will be the seed here that will spread uh, and, and fill the harvest. And there are three ways of it. In verse 22 to 24, he's talking about my brothers. He's talking about the Jews. Because of his resurrection, he's going to tell your name to my brothers. You can just circle. That's, his Jew. That's the Jewish nationality. The Jews. The early church was Jewish. In, in Acts chapter 2, we see that all the way up to up 10, up to Cornelius, the Gentile. It's Jewish. And this is why Paul wrote first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles in Romans 1.16 and then chapters 9, 10 and 11. You know, though the Jews despised Jesus, and they did, crucify him. We'll take Barabbas, that scoundrel, crucify Jesus. Though they despised, Jesus would not despise his own. And there are in the church today those that have Jewish blood. There's now technically no Jew, no Greek. Now the middle wall's taken down. We're the company, the mystery, the church. But I'm premillennial. I believe that God in the days to come, uh, Romans 11 particularly, and he'll deal with political, national Israel and fulfillment of the great prophet statements in the Old Testament about a glorious day, a millennial age, of the nation Israel. And he will deal. Though they despised him and killed he would not despise and reject them. The Jews. The second be the great company, the kahal, the people, in verses 25 through 29, this is a, a, a expanding assembly. I mean, this because of the resurrection and because of his victory. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. Look at that. What's he talking about? He's talking about because of the resurrection, there's going to be an expanding company of people because of his death on the cross that will be covered by that substitution and they will praise God the Father and bless the Lord Jesus. And notice, it's all types of people. All types of people are included in this expanding group of people. Think of Acts as the gospel is going out into different nationalities and in places. Particularly, uh, look at verse... Um, uh, verse 27, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of nations shall worship before you 
kingship belongs to you. He rules over all the nations. And, and we, we discover here that uh, all sorts of people are part of this great assembly of the redeemed as a result of the cross, as a result of the resurrection. It's amazing. Jew and Gentile, near and far, rich and poor, included in this great company of people known as the church. And then finally, in C, he talks about future generations uh, as a result of the triumph of the cross and the victory seen in the resurrection, verse 30 and 31. And you're in the picture here. If you know Jesus as your Savior, that's you. If you're like me, I take my Bible and I write my name and Lord, thank you, that's me. You ever been in the you ever been cut out of the picture? I told you, my grandfather used to take pictures with that Polaroid all the time, cut our heads off. Grandpa, you missed us. You know, like, well, let's try and he'd shoot up a whole roll of that stuff there. Trying, did I get you all in there? Yeah. <laughs> out of the picture. If you know Christ, you're in the picture. You're in this verse. Look at verse 30. Posterity, that's the future at this point, shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. At that point, that's you. That's me. I'm in the picture. So are you. All, of all that he has done. In other words, that we too will car carry the gospel and talk about all that Jesus did at the cross, the resurrection. Listen, Christianity is not a philosophy. Look, what it is, is, is you, it's an event. It's a historical thing. All you have to do is say, hey, did you ever hear what happened there? 2000, what, what happened? Jesus died on the cross. Historical fact. Then what, three, he rose from the grave. Did you know that? No. What's it mean? This is what it means. He died to pay for sin. He rose the third day. If you trust him, you'll follow that same. Is that for you? That's for me. That should be on our lips. That's what we're given to do. To gospelize. To fish. You know, let's go fishing, okay? Let's do that. And, 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 and the future generation, in verse 31, I have to make a point. The message is proclaimed, and it's the message, verse 31, it is finished. The very last phrase, ESV has it, that he has done it. Uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the here, and I don't want to get overly technical here on this, but uh, there's no object for the verb. And so uh, I think it's better to say not he has done it, but it has been done. Or can I say it? It is finished. The telestai. That's, that's what Jesus' sixth word from the cross, just before he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's the last thing he said. It is, he was thinking about this very text, this hymn of the cross, and he said, it's finished. It's a finished work. It's done. It's the military general shouting victory is in. It's finished. We won. It's the masterpiece. Have you ever done a masterpiece? Maybe you painted your family room and your wife wasn't sure it was a masterpiece. But it was done. You're like, it's a masterpiece. You know, I'll wipe the, the you know, it is, don't look too close. It is. No, but this was, it was finished. It is done. That was what he said. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus died victoriously, knowing that the atonement was perfect and therefore future generations of sinful people like you and like me would be saved because of it. Oh my. No wonder Charles Wesley wrote that wonderful hymn, Amazing Love, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death 
pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that God, my God, should die for me? Oh, the hymn of the cross. Love Psalm 22. Love it and read it. In the next two weeks, read it and reread it as we walk through these days and then the Passion Week, a week out, as we move towards that day that we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. Lessons for our life. What can we say? Number one, the gospel is for all types of people. All types. Rich and poor, near and far, Jew and Gentile. All sorts of people. It's for you and it's for me. Come this morning to receive Jesus as your Savior if you've never trusted him. Just as you are by a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. I receive you as my Lord and as my God. Thank you for dying for me. You know, you pray that in sincerity today and God will hear that and he will save you. All this took place that maybe you, that you would have a divine appointment for him right now, right today. Number two, consider again the absolute terribleness of your sin that required such an action by our loving, holy God. Think about that. Sometimes we, don't we minimize our sin? Oh, it's not too bad. Oh, it's a white lie. Oh, it's a boo-boo. Oh, my. We are sinful, utterly sinful. Oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me? That, that were Paul's words. From the bonds of this death, but thanks be unto the Lord Jesus who gives us the victory. Your sin is not a small thing. It took the life of our Lord. Humbly thank him. Number three, marvel, really marvel at God's great love for you. Your love beyond the stars. You may say, well, nobody loves me here. Well, that may be or may not be. But there's one that loves you far more than any human being could ever love you. And it ought to warm your heart and cause you to reciprocate. To love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. And to live for him. Live for him. Not for self. You know, Ecclesiastes says man heaps up wealth not knowing who will get it. Right? Isn't that true? And he said the other night at the men's fraternity, there's nothing poorer than a dead man. <laughs> you think of that. You have to live for the Lord, not for self. Live for the Lord. Serve him. There's nothing else. And he'll give you a skip and a song and bliss and joy. And take it to Jesus. Take it to Jesus. Jesus did that. He kept talking to his father. Oh, Lord. Oh, Father. Take it to him. Oh, marvel at his love. He loves you more than you could ever imagine and serve him. Number four, come to love your Bible more and more. Love your Bible more and more as you discover it's all about Jesus from cover to cover. It's all about him. Search the scriptures. They tell of me, he told those in Jerusalem. They tell of me. He speaks in Genesis 1. He closes Revelation 22. And he tells us he's coming again. Even so, come quickly. And number five and last, you can help in this great work by telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. About the greatest love story ever told. We love to tell things we love, right? We love to tell great events and great story, the narratives and the stories, and we love that. It's the greatest. May God give us courage and boldness and hearts that care about people. Because death seals it. There is no purgatory. There's nothing after that. It seals it. And you and I are to help grow this great congregation of God's redeemed by telling the story about Jesus. Come, let's make disciples for him. All because of the hymn of the cross. 
He died for you and he died for me. Let's stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this holy ground of scripture. It's holy of holy and it's in the midst of holy writ anyways. And I pray, Father, that uh, you might change us and we might consider ourselves afresh and renew in our heart a zeal to love you and to serve you with our hearts, our soul, and our strength during these few days of our life, knowing that heaven is a long, long time. That we might be a part in great ways and small, rescuing the perishing and care for the dying. That the love of Jesus would flow through us Forgive us of our sins, grow us in usefulness, make us fruitful, and may you bless us. Make us a blessing to all that we should meet this way. We ask for your favor, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. We are dismissed. God bless.